eight weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I stood with uh, seven others around an open grave. Uh, we were burying my aunt. Uh, she had struggled for well over a decade with alcoholism and had died, it seemed, after a prolonged binge. It's a horrible word, isn't it? And she was only 62. So as the purple cord slipped through my fingers and the coffin descended into the dirt, I looked up at Richard, her only child, her son, and thought, how is he going to make sense of this? Who will he turn to for help? Who will he go to for answers? Now, most people turn to family and friends for wisdom and understanding in times like these. Richard will listen to the people gathered around the graveside that day, family and friends, and try, who help him try to make sense of his suffering. It was already happening at the wake. All kinds of people offering all kinds of philosophizing. From the pessimist saying, well, you know, son, there's just nothing you could have done to the more optimistic person saying, oh, well, she's in a better place. But where do people get their wisdom? Where do people get understanding? Mostly they get it from experiencing and seeing life. Sometimes they've looked thoughtfully, maybe even intellectually, into the meaning of life. Who we are, where we came from, where we're going, what it's all about. But is conventional human wisdom, conventional meaning generally accepted by majority, is conventional human wisdom enough to help us make sense of the hard things that we go through? Well, what does God's word have to say about that? This is why we are turning to Job 28 today. So let's turn there to verse 1 and let's find out. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to darkness. They search out the, far, the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below us by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from the rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. 
coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing. Concealed even from the birds in the sky, or destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it and said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Amen. This is God's word. Well, is human wisdom enough to make, help us make sense of suffering and to help us live with it? Job 28 says pretty plainly, no. And I have two points from this passage that I hope will demonstrate that. One, you won't make sense of suffering by looking to conventional wisdom. And two, you'll only make sense of suffering by looking to God and his wisdom. So number one, you won't make sense of suffering by looking to conventional wisdom. This is verses 1 to 22. Now, Job tells us three things in particular about people in this passage. Firstly, that humans are awesome. Human ingenuity has led to some of the greatest discoveries. We see it in verses 1 to 11. But Job demonstrates this in one particular area, mining. Now, human beings are naturally curious. We do like to explore things. We like to figure things out. From the, the baby who just shoves everything and anything into the mouth in order to figure it out, to the toddler who's kind of scientifically pulling worms apart, to, you know, throughout our entire age, from childhood to adulthood, we test things, we test ideas, we test conventional wisdom in order to grow in understanding and become, and become wise in the best application of the knowledge that we attain. It leads to amazing discoveries like silver and gold, metals that can be heated and shaped and utilized. And it's curiosity of what lies beneath the earth that got man digging. It's the joy of discovering precious things that make man return to see what else is down there. And the passage here in these first few verses just shows us that we won't be put off. No obstacle is intimidating enough to stop us. The darkness is no obstacle, verse 3. Fear is no obstacle, verse 4. When I was a kid, there used to be these old shale mines out where I lived in West Lothian. And when we ran off and did whatever we wanted to do, we used to find some of these shale mines and uh, break through the tape and walk past the sign that said no entry and uh, go in and find. And, and we used to just kind of encroach into that mine, maybe for about, well, according to our own bravery, 12 feet maybe. And, uh, but then you got to the point where beyond that was really dark and there was, there was absolutely no chance you were going to get me walking a step further. We fear keeps us back, but not here. Fear is no obstacle. 
to man, verse 4. Danger is no obstacle, verse 4b. Far from human dwellings. When I read that, I think far from any. Um, Humans cut a shaft and dangle and sway perilously over a dark abyss in search of these stones of great worth. See what Job is trying to tell us here? Human beings are pretty impressive. They're awesome, and nothing really in all creation compares to them. As he goes on to say in verse 7, the birds with the best eyesight in all existence haven't seen what human beings have seen. The so-called king of the beasts, verse 8, ruling where it prowls, hasn't even set foot in some of the places where human feet have trod. And verses 9 to 11, Joe points out the great effort that it takes to bring hidden words to light, using words like assault, lay bare, tunnel, search. In other words, human beings like us put an awful lot of effort into unearthing things that are of great worth and great beauty. It's true. I mean, think of all the things that we enjoy today because of human ingenuity. Even from this fair city, the world has been given the steam engine, the TV, the telephone, modern-day anesthetics, the digestive biscuit, all things which have blessed humanity because somebody bothered to put their curiosity into discovery. But despite all its abilities, humanity still has limitations. That's what we see in verses 12 to 20. Humanity still shrugs with uncertainty at the big questions in life, especially suffering and hardship. Verses 12 to 20 basically say wisdom can't be found and wisdom can't be bought. Verse 12, where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? We know where we go to find gold or rubies, but we don't know where to find wisdom for sufferers. People can look to universities and clever clogs, but wisdom can't be bought. People can look anywhere they can, as verses 21 to 22 say, to the living, uh, to people, to universities, to schools, to education, to testing, to books, to Google, to no avail. And people can look even as some try to do to the dead, to seance, but to no avail. So searching the philosophies of families and friends for sufferers like Richard, like you and me, will ultimately prove futile, according to Job 28. If all we do is turn to each other, we're all like the miner with the gem sieve, finding only dirt. What have the best human minds offered even to help us make sense of our suffering? Think about it. Well, conventional wisdom is in this country that's taught in our schools is fundamentally atheistic. There is no God. There is no intelligent designer there is, it's not created, it just happened. These are just the random collocation of atoms, etc. But what wisdom does atheistic philosophy and counsel have for the likes of Richard and for us in our trials? Well, Richard Dawkins, a prominent spokesman for secular atheists, would say about suffering that it's a shame, but stuff happens. 
He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. You won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing like pitiless indifference. Can you imagine sitting with Job or Richard or with each other and for someone to say that to you? So that's that's presented and promoted as wise, atheistic, intellectual. This is what we want to educate our kids in. Does that satisfy anyone? What about another kind of wisdom? So that was atheistic wisdom. Generally, the other type of wisdom is moralistic. So um, mostly religious in its form. So Hindus would believe that suffering is the result of something you did in a past life. Hindu wisdom says, hey, Job, you did something bad, do something good, tip the scales in your favor. I'm being massively oversimplistic with this. Buddhists teach that suffering is essentially an illusion, that suffering comes just from unfulfilled desires. So Buddhist wisdom says, yeah, Job, Richard, you need to detach yourself from the transitory material things and persons, and then you'll start to feel better. Does that satisfy us at all? Just ask the question, does that satisfy us in our suffering? Look at the options. Take them to their end. I don't think they're satisfying in the slightest. They leave more questions than answers. That's why Job says wisdom can't be found by looking to human ideas and philosophies. And wisdom can't be bought, as he says in verses 13 to 19. There's no shop that sells wisdom. John Lewis doesn't have a wisdom department. Even if you had to cash the splash on the sages and experts of this and that, you can't buy the wisdom we need to get through our trials and answer that fun those fundamental questions that come to everyone in their hardships, when they're crying. Why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why in this way? It just doesn't seem to make sense. But this is frustrating. I mean, Job is telling us that there's something worth more than gold called wisdom. Notice from the whole passage that wisdom is spoken of in a sense that it's worth more than all the gold, all the treasures that we can find in this universe. But it seems so elusive. It has a source, verse 20 says so. It comes from somewhere, but where? Well, look with me, verse 23, and see it for yourself. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. You see what Job is claiming? You won't make sense of suffering by looking to conventional wisdom. Number two, you only make sense of suffering by looking to God and his wisdom. That's what verses 23 to 28 are all about. And Job tells us two crucial things in this section. The first is that God is to be sought. We've to put all our energy into looking to him. 
We have to satisfy our curiosity to the point of discovery by thinking about him. He's the one who knows and understands all things. Verse 24 says, uh, Job says, there's nothing he doesn't see. He knows everything about everything and everybody all the time, all at once. Which means that he knows our suffering through and through. Everyone speaks out of ignorance. Only he speaks out of perfect knowledge. The implication is what? Simply that we should look to him for wisdom. Go to him as that source in order to, if you like, mine from him the treasures of understanding life as it was meant to be understood. And Job says he's the only one who has established all things. Verses 25 to 26 are, I found a bit confusing when I first looked at it. And Job sounds a little bit like a weatherman. I mean, what's all this talk about rain and wind and thunderstorms? We've seen a lot of that, haven't we? Humanity's worked really hard to develop satellite and sensory technology to help us forecast where all of these different things will fall, blow, and strike. But here we see something even more significant, something better than the human ingenuity that's helped us to forecast it. He's the one who's established it, created it, determined every drop, plotted every path and every strike. Verse 27 says, alongside these seemingly to us, wild and unpredictable forces of nature, alongside these, guess what else God created? Wisdom. Wisdom. Understanding. He fills everything in existence with meaning and he is the source. The implication is what? It's the same as the first thing Job said. Look to him for wisdom. How? Well, the second thing Job says, wisdom is found by actually listening to God. God has not kept himself to himself. God speaks. God speaks here in verse 28 through, through Job. He, that is God, said to the human race, so he's not leaving us to figure it out on our own. That's what we have to understand from he said. Those two simple words are, you are not to be left in the dark. He wants to shine light in your minds to bring understanding to it so you know the right way to live, so you know the right thing to say to sufferers, so you know how to suffer yourself. God said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. The starting point for Richard, for us, as we process our pain, make sense of our suffering, is to revere God. That's what it means to fear him. It's not to be so scared that you run the opposite direction. That's a different kind of fear. This is a, this is a holy awe. This is a, a, a true reverence for his person, for who he is, for all the things that he has done, for all the power that he has in himself, for all the knowledge and wisdom that he has of everything. We only see just a tiny bit. He sees the Lord. 
So we think of him and talk to him and come to him with, a, with that understanding that, okay, I'm coming to one. It's kind of like when you go to someone who say, and you say, I could be wrong, but it seems like A, B, and C. That's how we come with reverence before God. It's with humility that says, I can see this, and currently, according to my fallible understanding, I have comprehended it in this way. It's D, E, and F. But, we say, and we're open to what God has to say to us. And more importantly, trust him, even when he doesn't address it directly, as we'll see next week in our sermon. We revere him, fear him, we trust him and all that he knows, knowing that whatever, whatever happens is not, as the atheist says, bad luck, not as the moralist says, a big stick, not as the Buddhist says, an illusion, but your suffering is real. He acknowledges its overwhelming experience, but also that he enters into it, fills it with meaning. Nothing is wasted. There's a purpose even through the hardships we face in life. To revere him means to trust him and his sovereignty, his good and loving rule. It means trusting his wisdom that he has the best possible application of the perfect knowledge that he has will achieve the highest possible goal in all creation. That if God did say to you, by the way, guys, here's exactly what I'm doing, you would say, that is a great plan. I'm up for it. Even if it means this hardship, I can see how that is the best possible thing that we could do for the highest possible goal in all creation. We would agree. It's for his glory and ultimately our goods. And Job agrees. This guy, has, his suffering has been the stuff of our nightmares. Health gone, wealth gone, kids gone. In such a short period of time. Bizarrely, by some of the elements that are spoken of from Job's own mouth. Wind, rain, storm. How hard must that have been for Job to say? Yet it's true of God. He was in, Job is the one who's introduced to us in chapter one as the, the man who was blameless and upright, who, guess what, feared God, shunned evil, revered God, and would not sin in what he said by charging God with wrongdoing. Shaking his fist and walking away saying, stuff this, I'm out here. And he's the one commended twice by God before heavenly powers in exactly the same terms. He looked to God, mourned honestly before God, asked questions of God, but shunned the evil of not cursing God and turning to conventional wisdom to make sense of it. Oh. His friends had a very moralistic conventional wisdom that they said, no, Job, you must have done something wrong. Admit it. Well, what about Richard? What should we do? What should we do in order to make sense of suffering? The answer is plain according to Job and reverence of, to revere God means to look to God for wisdom in his word. God has revealed himself 
wonderfully through the Bible. Our God is the God who speaks. He's not left himself to himself and tucked him away like your neighbor two doors down that you don't even know. He has made himself known. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord, that's the Bible, are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We know what to say to sufferers when we invest ourselves in searching, in mining God's word for the gold of wisdom. But ultimately, we look to God for wisdom in his son, in Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, writing to a church in Colossae, tells them that his great goal is to preach Christ in order to help them steer clear of the deceit offered in the form of fine-sounding arguments, things that seem plausible, things that sound wise but aren't human philosophizing, in other words. He says, my goal in proclaiming Christ is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God. That's not something that is hard to find, but it's Paul talks about mystery as being something that was once hidden but now revealed, now openly displayed for all to see. To know the mystery of God, namely Christ, Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where is the source? Where have we to mine? Christ, through his word, which he has graciously given and published for us to see. Where does wisdom dwell, Job asked? In him, God says, in Jesus, in his life, in his words, in his works, and especially in his suffering on the cross. Oh, we know it doesn't look that way to outsiders. It doesn't look like a victory. It looks like a loss. The apostle Paul said to another church, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we pre preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and, listen, definitively, the wisdom of God. Christ is God's wisdom. Wisdom in a person. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than human. Now, I need to share this wisdom with my cousin Richard to help him make sense of his suffering and to help him find Christ in the midst of it. Who do you need to share it with? Maybe you're worried about what to say or whether or not someone will accept it. Well, Paul continues to ease our anxieties. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God, by his grace, has shone the light of understanding into our minds. Though we weren't the cleverest, the smartest, the wealthiest, we are not the pinnacle of humanity, brothers and sisters. Please don't be offended by that. And yet we know wisdom that is way more valuable than the conventional wisdom of this world. Ultimately, there are helpful things that humanity can say from the experience that they have, but we alone have Christ. We must therefore preach Christ to those who suffer not knowing who he is and to each other knowing exactly who he is. Wisdom cannot be found. No one will make sense of suffering by looking to conventional wisdom. We only make sense of suffering by looking to Christ and his cross because there we see him entering into our suffering, paying the price for that which would bring us the greatest suffering, the penalty for sin and the judgment of hell, eternal hell. And he did it in order to fill our minds with understanding and rescue us from that very suffering. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, I'd love for you to go away with a Bible where we can point you to some of these passages that talk a bit about more about what I've been talking about this morning. Look into this. It's worth more than all the treasures of the earth. Trust in him today. Shun evil. That from which you hear, shun the evil from which you, the evil which you practice and come before the, God, the gods of wisdom in humility and repentance. Let's pray.